by Riverside. What's going on? Welcome back. I missed last week. I have no clue what episode it is. Um, but the good news is I was reclaimed off waivers. Um, <laughs> so I'm, back. I'm, I'm back. You know, it's tough. It's, you know, it's it's a part of the business. I understand. But, you know, in this age of social media and everyone trying to be first, it's tough getting a, a notification on the phone that there's a new podcast and you've been DFA'd. Uh, <laughs> stop acting like you didn't know about it <laughs> i was just looking at the episode title to go to listen to trev um and i saw that i got dfa'd so i was like oh wow just cutthroat yeah you know it's a business and and we got to do what we got to do to to make sure we're producing content and it's nothing personal you know it's it's just the business well um Couple couple things on that. One, the good news is is the traveling secretary for the podcast was great. Um, I went down to AAA um, after I cleared waivers the first time. Then I got recalled, so I'm, I'm happy to be back in the big leagues. Here is just some roster juggling. I understand. I don't get paid the big bucks yet. I'm not protected from that. Uh, two, you did such a good job. After I'm done here with the opening, I'm just going to sit and listen to you talk for <laughs> another hour and not respond. I think I I think I maxed out my capacity on uh on that for 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 the time being. You dominated it though, and you you kept the listeners uh, engaged. So I was engaged the whole time when I listened back. So you know, does that make put a little more pressure on me? A little, yeah, yeah. I would be. I'm trying to be transparent here. I feel a little more pressure knowing that. You know, you can do this and be a one-man show and, and, and be just fine without me. Um, so, you know, I, I know I was a part of the foundation of this, but again, cutthroat business. So, look, I just have to perform now and be available, I guess. I'm going to tell the wife, listen, we better ease up on the vacations. I can't keep missing pods. I'm now a little bit nervous. I got my best friend's wedding in a couple weeks here. I, I might have to tell them I'm be late in case we got to record um, or maybe just be there and recording. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, but I'm back and I'm, I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you back and, you know, little sweaty palms and, and a little nervous on the first time back. It's okay, but I'm sure you'll get your solo pod out of the way at some point and we'll, we'll be saying the, the same thing in reverse. Yeah, well, you know, it's just, I got to rise to the occasion now. That's all it is. A little pressure sometimes, you know. I'd like to think of myself as someone who can perform with a little bit of stakes, you know. And now there's some stakes. There's some stakes now. It's good, you know. You don't want anyone to get too comfortable. Like you said, some point I should probably jump on here and record just so that you know, that, you know, <laughs> your seat can heat up a little bit too. Um, this is the first one we've recorded together in a while, so I just want to catch everyone up. Uh, Penn State and Georgia are still undefeated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, great showing by the Nittany Lions uh, on the Plains uh, last weekend. Um, Auburn's become a, a, a bad excuse of a, an SEC West uh, program. Um, and I'm listen, I'm happy for the Nittany Lions. I just want to throw that out there. I feel like because of you, I, I was telling a bunch of people that they're going to be way better than everyone thinks. So now I feel smart. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – it, I think that Auburn team's getting a lot of flack for uh, obviously getting torched and rightfully so. But, you know, I think that's kind of the Penn State narrative that they've kind of dealt with for a couple years now is like, oh, well, it's not Penn State being good. It's Auburn being bad and a dumpster fire. And they are a dumpster fire, but that's still the same defensive line that uh, held Auburn to zero touchdowns through pretty much three quarters. Alabama. Or Alabama through three touchdowns through three and a half almost four quarters of football. And uh, so, you know, that that defense still got torched by Penn State and ran all over for a team that can't run the football. So hopefully we'll see it makes that Michigan game that much more important. And, 
and everything like that. So now I, it's different vibes than last year. I know Penn State went five and zero last year, but they didn't flex their depth early. It was kind of all just on that. You know, there was obviously questions about the run game and the offensive line, but this year they're flexing their depth. They're running the ball. They haven't even tapped into the, what they can do offensively. Manny Diaz is doing a great job causing havoc and creating havoc. And, you know, those four turnovers were earned. I don't think they were given. It wasn't just Auburn giving the ball away. Um, and they flex their depth on both sides of the ball. You know, they go multiple deep, deep at every position. So it's good even if injuries prop up, which they do because it's football. You know, you got guys that can play. I love that. This is a baseball podcast, and you just went so in-depth into college football. Like, you just gave us such a deep dive. That was incredible. That was awesome. Like, you just went like we were talking about something baseball-related. That was awesome. Um, Listen, the only reason Auburn's catching flack is because you can't. Like, if you're supposed to be one of the better programs in the country, and I know they're they're down, obviously, but still, like, at home in college football, you can't get embarrassed like that. No, you you can't. You know, like – there's a, there's only a few teams in the country who should be able to do that to you and and even in, like I, I don't know even so it shouldn't be that bad that was bad. yeah it was gross they're just gross um you want to talk about baseball yeah sure why not I listen to enough college football podcasts that's where I get that information from so <laughs> we'll talk baseball now a uh, little breaking news today we sit here and record this it's Wednesday afternoon um by the way I'm proud of myself for getting that right because vacation brain it's tough to know what day it is um president uh president of baseball operations dayton moore for the kansas city royal has been fired story broke about two hours ago um he's he was the architect of the 15 world series team they had in kansas city i mean he first got to kansas city and has been overseeing the Royal since 2006 so he's been there for 17 years um and it just kind of feels like what needed to happen at this point jj piccolo has been his um right hand man um and he became the general manager at the end of last year and now he will take over as the president of baseball operations um the royals since that 15 team haven't been able to compete at the big league level they have some young talent um but they just kind of seem like one of those orgs that like just stuck in neutral for really since they won the World Series. And even though they've hit on some draft picks, obviously Bobby Witt looks like he's going to be, um, you know, one of the young stars in baseball. So it kind of felt like the Dayton Moore thing was coming, and it felt like this was the right time. I understand it. People ask why do it now. Well, if you're going to do it anyway, I'm always of the belief where like just if this is what you're going to do, then just do it. Especially when you talk about execs, right? Draft is over already. Trade deadline. You got nothing coming. You know, might as well let JJ Piccolo start getting his people in place and let the his structure take. You know, set uh, before the off season starts when you have to start making trades and, and free agent signings. And it'll be interesting to see what direction he takes it um, because they made some signings last off season and some moves that made you think, okay, they're going to try and start competing. Obviously, Bobby Witt started the year on the opening day roster, and then they again they just haven't. Um, they just haven't been able to compete at the big league level. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, he's been there. He won a World Series, so it's a big change for the Royals. And it, I think it's, again, it's the right time, and it, it's the smart thing to do at this point. Yeah, I think Dayton Moore has a, a lot of respect. He's a well-respected exec in, in baseball circles. There's a lot of people out there that speak very highly of, of him and, and what he's been able to build. You know, I hate to use the the handcuffed kind of excuse because there are very many small market individuals who are very good executives um, and, and do a very good job. But, you know, I feel like with the Royals, even they didn't parlay 2015 into more. Right. And obviously you have guys like Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis and Alcides Escobar. And none of those guys are, are still superstars to this day. So it's not like you should have locked them up or you should have done X, Y, Z. I think they just caught lightning in a bottle with that one group. Obviously, Sal Perez is probably the one who's gotten better. And he's he's really this, the only one that's still there from that that team. So they, they actually made a really good decision in the one that they kept compared to the ones that they let walk. 
you know, I, and I just think it comes down to player development and depth. Like they were a very, you know, they've kind of made some changes over the, over the last couple of years to kind of get more in depth and better at player development. You've seen it at the big league level. Brady singers figured out how to use his stuff a lot better. Um, obviously Bobby Witts are going to be a stud, but other than those guys, it's, it's kind of just a lot of meh. MJ Melendez, who's obviously been a, a breakout star for this year. He had mm-hmm. a lot of ups and downs in the minor leagues. It wasn't linear. They could have had him helping. I mean, I remember in, Probably 2018, he was supposed to be this guy, 2018, 2019. And, you know, he hit a couple r- bumps in the road on the way there. And then you factor in the same thing with Nick Prado. It's, you know, they had one really rough year where they seemed like they were turning the corner with their player development and all those guys kind of just got stuck. But then you even look at the draft, really. I think that's where it comes down to is obviously Bobby Witt was a slam dunk. When you draft in two in that draft, it was either Adley Rochman or Bobby Witt. It's like, okay, well, whoever the Orioles don't take, we're taking. That was, that was an easy decision, but, you know, <laughs> I have it on record, me and you talking about it. I did not think Asa Lacey was going to be anything more than a reliever, and getting in that player development system was what worried me because they had not developed pitchers. They had not. They they flat out had not developed pitchers. That's what it came down to. And he his command has not been good in the big leagues. Guys take those pitches that he throws. And Frank Mazzucato, that was a a weird pick at seven overall. You know, he was he was their biggest bonus too. It's not even like they were saving money. And so those those decisions were just are pretty much what did them in. And and it's why this farm system still to this day, this team looks like it has no future. You know, it has some young pieces there, but like, where's the next man up? You know, Bobby Witt can't carry the team. You know, we've seen it with Mike Trout for how many years? Yeah. And, and and drafting and developing is kind of where they got lost. Right. So they, they had all those homegrown players and, and again, Dane Moore, like you said, is well-respected and did a, fantastic job in that organization it's just at a certain point in sports especially when things go on for too long they can become stale and they can get stuck in place he's been there since 06 and when he took over in 06 i don't know if people remember but the kansas city royals were a dumpster fire right and they were probably the worst org in the league at the time um just as far as talent throughout the organization from the big league level down and they had never done anything and then you know, it took a long time, but Dayton Moore in fourteen fifteen, they went back to back pennants and they do it on the back of the of Hosmer and Mustakas and Alex Gordon and Sal Perez and Alcides Escobar and, and the find of Locaine. And just like what a great job. And then they kinda won when it had taken those guys so long to get there and, and, and be able to compete that it fell apart really quickly. Almost like the Cubs, right? Like the Cubs they had built for so long to be to finally break the curse. Right, and they did it, and then it fell apart so quick. And the same thing kind of happened in Kansas City, where they'd built for so long, and some of those guys had taken a while to develop and, and and you know and become the team that could contend. And they did, and for two years they were the best team in baseball. And the run in fourteen was great, and obviously they ran into Mad Bum, or else they would have had back to back World Series. And then in fifteen, they just from start to finish, just you know, kind of boat raced the league. But then they were all aging and they were all on expiring contracts and they did the right thing by letting those guys go. But since 2015, they have just not been able to restock the cupboards. They've not been able to kind of find that second generation of homegrown talent enough to at least, you know, then justify for a smaller market team purchasing in free agency and in trades to, to build around those guys. And you kind of hope that maybe Melendez and Witt can be those guys and they need to find a couple more. And, you know, J.J. Piccolo has been there enough to, to know what they have in the farm system and to probably know what needs to change. And and maybe they'll be able to turn this thing around and they can figure out things on the pitching side. Um, and, and you know, just your point about Asa Lacey there is like where drafting they've fallen down in drafting, right, and scouting. It's like yeah. you're sitting here, you're a nobody with all due respect, but you – you you know we could sit here and say I I don't know if this stuff's going to play at the big league level. Well, there you go. They're going to they spent a high pick on them, and we were right. So you were yeah. right. So I mean it's tough, but it'll be interesting to kind of see what direction they go in for sure. I mean 
they they got to add to wit or else you're going to end up in the same situation. They got to be able to mm-hmm. do it fast where he's getting older and he's going to be at the end of his rookie contract and he's going to bounce. Yeah. I think if there's any team that you could probably argue was affected by the old CBA rules of losing picks for signing free agents and just that whole mess of it was the Royals, right? Like they don't have the money to go big game hunting, but they need to add. So then they put themselves in a position where in 2016, they lose their first round pick. And, you know, then you can't, then you don't have another guy. Like you don't, you aren't drafting an Alex Bregman. You aren't drafting a guy like that. Who's quick to the majors to kind of replace the right. Alcides Escobars, the Mike Moustakis of the world. And, you know, they felt like they had to add, but they could only get, um, temporary pieces like Johnny Cueto was only a, um, a half a year for them. And he obviously pitched very well down the stretch. And, you know, they just, I feel like if there was any team that was really handcuffed by all those, those factors, it was them because, you know, you're really backed in a corner. How important is our draft pick? How important is this free agent signing? How important is getting years of control? You know, how important is the, you know, being able to, get the pick back for the guy you lose. Like just that whole mess of a, of a CBA was, was I feel like it definitely handcuffed them, but also at the same time, like who's the second round pick that they've hit on. Who's the third round pick that they've hit on. Like Bobby Witt is nice. And like you said, with the Cubs, they built for so long, but like, look at the Astros, like the 2012 draft, I believe it was, was historic. You know, I'm sure the Dodgers have a draft. Obviously, they're the factory, but like, where it's the Will Smith draft, right? Where they have like six guys in their big league. You need to really get it to all hit at once and extend. It really has to come from the ability to have one really good draft and draft depth and develop those guys in the second and third round. But they don't. They don't do that. You know, they don't have guys in the second, third round that turn into superstars or even serviceable major leaguers to kind of have like, okay, well, our first round pick was Bobby Witt, but who was their third round, second round pick that year? He's probably not in the big leagues, and he's probably not even a top prospect. So, you know, it's just very, you know, interesting to kind of see how how important that could be. You know, in, in terms of of just being able, it's not always about it's, it definitely is the first round picks very important, but you know, that those second and third and being able to maximize the potential of those guys at other, at, in other picks. And especially when you're not hitting on Asa Lacey, right? Asa Lacey's stuff is good enough, but is he going to throw enough strikes? Are you going to develop a third pitch? Are you going to be able to get it, you know, dominate? He reminded me so much of Andrew Miller, um, who obviously became a very good big leaguer, but you're not spending your fourth overall pick on Andrew Miller. If I'm sure the Marlins are, you know, thinking the same thing back in the day. Yeah, and again, I think it's, you know, I hate to do this, but you, you, you almost wonder what happens if, if you know, Giordano doesn't tragically pass away. Because he was starting to come into his own. And, and, I mean, then you have at least another arm there and just things continue down that, that, that path. But it's interesting because when you look at a lot of these small market clubs or smaller market clubs, it's almost like those – the hitting on prospects comes in waves so much. It's just so hard to keep their infrastructure at peak abilities for so long, right? There's one organization that you can really think of, and that's the Rays, obviously, that can do it time in and time out, right? Because outside of the and, – and really you can almost say this across the board because outside of the handful of like the Cardinals, the Astros, the Rays, the Dodgers, who year in and year out is drafting and developing – at, at the rate that those teams do. No one. You can't, you really can't say anyone does it that way. There were organizations all go through a stretch where they hit, right? Where yeah. they really hit, right? Like the Cubs, they hit and they built that. The Royals, they hit and they built their World Series winner in 15. The Giants, obviously, when you're talking about Bumgarner and Posey and the core of those those teams that, that won, they hit that stretch. Um, you know, and then so what do you do if, if you're going to try and be a team that contends all the time or fairly regularly and isn't going through these huge gaps of missing the playoffs like the Royals are now getting into? Um, you know, and I think about the Pirates with that, too, where, you know, the gaps that they've gotten into after they had a couple consecutive postseason runs. It's like, so how do you stay afloat and how do you compete? You know, if you don't have the checkbooks of the Mets, 
the Yankees, the Red Sox. Um, what are you doing? How are you going to be able to compete and contend every year? And you got to really get creative and find your niche, right? Whether it's, okay, we're going to find value arms on the market and that's how we're going to bring them in. And then we're going to really be good at drafting and developing position players or vice versa, right? We're going to really learn how to draft and develop arms. We're going to get the best guys at doing that. We're going to get scouts in who like, Hey, go find us high school arms, college arms, whatever your niche is going to be and develop those guys. And then, Hey, we're going to find, you know, we're going to hit on one or two position players and then we're going to find value adds to fill the roster that way. And you really have to kind of understand your identity and be realistic about who you are as an organization, as far as your resources go and what you're good at. If you don't have the checkbook flexibility at the other big market teams do, because again, unless you learn how to build the factory that Tampa, St. Louis, the Dodgers and Houston have, as far as draft consistently drafting and developing for, you know, and, and the reason I say those are the, the four is because, I mean, you can look at really the last 20 years and say that, that that's what those teams have done it, right? For the last yeah. 20 years, those teams have done that. Um, so unless you can, can do that, which, again, no one outside of those four can, you have to be able to understand what can we do and what niche can we, what avenue can we get in to help us compete. Yeah, and, and I mean – I mean, we could get so in depth on this because the Tigers are going through a similar situation and they just hired a new general manager as well. And it's, you know, what are the teams that seem to fail the most, right? In terms of building a a major league roster through their own farm system is they always feel like they have to take first round draft picks that are pitchers. What most teams are able to do that end up having success is Trust their development team, trust their talent identification team, and draft Hunter Brown in the fifth round. And he's a 2019 pick the same year as Bobby Witt. And you watch him come out and you're like, who is this dude? A Corbin Burns. Teams that are able to do that. I mean, look how many first round pitchers do the um, Astros even have in the rotation? And they have a billion. Obviously, Lance McCullers was a compensatory pick. And Justin Verlander was a superstar out of high school. And wasn't picked by them. Or college out of Old Old Dominion. Old Old Dominion. But wasn't picked by them either, right? No, he wasn't picked by them. So, like, you let that guy establish himself. But Christian Javier came out of nowhere. Luis Garcia came out of nowhere. Like, Hunter Brown came out of nowhere. Like, it it go Framber Valdez came out of nowhere. Like, all these dudes, so they trust, they know what – and it comes down to, again – self-evaluation and understanding as an organization what works for you what do you develop well like if me and you start an organization we need to sit down and figure out what do we not develop well and what do we develop well okay i trust myself with athletic kids that have power potential and some swing and miss concerns i feel like i can teach that you feel like you can teach this kid to move better. Maybe to, I want a guy who's 91 to 93 with really good command, a la George Kirby, and we can milk every ounce of velo out of that guy. And these organizations that do it, because all you have to do is have success with 30% of them after right. the fifth round. And right. you're talking about changing your organization, right? All you need is one Vaughn Grissom, who's an 11th round pick in 2019, again, the same draft year as Bobby Witt, to hit, to be like, we're geniuses. Because your first round pick should hit. Your second round pitch should be serviceable major leaguers. You should be able to go find, but again, it's just about self-evaluating. It's like, what can we identify? What's the market if inefficiency that we can find? Because there's we talk about building bullpens on the scrap heap. It's not even to the point anymore where these teams are identifying guys that are just outliers. No, there's so many guys out there that every MLB team could build a bullpen, a serviceable bullpen with these guys, right? Of finding these guys in, whether it's within your organization, in other organizations that are just depth pieces or potentially release candidates or things like that. So nowadays it's not even just like, oh, the Astros are pulling these guys out of thin air. No, they're they're on the street corner nowadays, it feels like. And they're in your organization. There's guys that throw a hundred in your organization. So it's about identifying what works for you. And the when the Astros first started doing this, they had a really good sense of what worked for them. 
And now they're to the point where they're so advanced, like the Dodgers, where they can take a, a high spin guy, a sinker baller guy, a curveball guy, a slider guy, a split finger guy. I'm sure the Astros could develop a knuckleballer if they wanted to because they're that advanced, but they didn't come out trying to do 15 different things at once, right? They didn't, they targeted their inefficiency, they built their team around it, and now they're starting to understand with more and more information they can go and get everything and trust their development team to do it. Right, and what what are some other things that those teams do that, that these teams that that can't seem to compete at the major league level, right, and struggle so much with it? It's like yes, they miss on those first and second round picks. And to your point, when you, when you start to hit on on rounds five and later, if you can hit on like you said the thirty percent of those, if you do have a first or second round fail, which is going to happen eventually, it doesn't matter. But when you can't hit on those later round picks once in a while enough to supplement your farm system when you miss on first or second round picks like Asa Lacey, you've just tanked. uh, You've just set yourselves back because, you know, this isn't the NFL where I can rebuild this thing next year if I just have a better draft next year because they're going to be on my roster immediately, right? Like in, in the NFL, if I miss on my first round pick in 2021, well, guess what? In 2022, if I hit on it, he's on the roster week one. So even if I missed on quarterback last year, or a different position, corner, back, right? Well, I can draft the best corner in this year's draft probably, and guess what? He can step in, and I can just write that mistake off as a one-year thing. Major League Baseball, you can't now because you have to think so far down the road that now it's you're hurting your organization. You're setting it back more years, right? It's not just X one one year. And the thing that those a lot of those organizations do when you, when you talk about them is they then, when they – think that they don't understand their timeline it feels like to compete to and they'll throw money at free agents that don't make sense right a couple examples that come to the front forefront of my mind is why is javier Baez on the tigers makes yes. no sense makes no sense if you if you had spent that money elsewhere or continue to develop for a year and taken this year to also see where you're at guess what there's a ton of shortstops on the market this year okay the royals Want to get like again? I think they're an organization that needs to get creative in their money spending. Why did they pay Carlos Santana the money they paid him to bring him in? Made no sense. Like for you were not missing a, a Carlos Santana was not the difference between you being a playoff contender and you not. It wasn't. Yeah. What he brings to the table is not it. You know, and you can almost make the same case for the Rangers are an interesting case that we should get into at some point too because you look at the money that they threw Seager and Simeon this year and it's like. I don't. I'm not quite sure where I got it. Like those guys got you seven extra wins this year. I and it's like I okay, think, yeah. I, I I get that. And they had a lot of other things going on there. Open the new ballpark. They want to be. They feel yeah. like they're getting ready to compete. But okay, There's sign a lot Seager. Of why? Why yeah. is Simeon like the Simeon signing? Then why sign Seager or sign Seager? Why sign Simeon? Like that things like that. And and you look at it up and down. The league and, and a lot of these teams who seem to struggle to compete and they struggle to develop and they struggle to draft is then, again, you start throwing money at problems sometimes. And if you don't have the, the flex, financial flexibility, throwing the money at one player like Javier Baez or throwing it at one player like Carlos Santos, it's not – that's never going to be the answer. Remember the Mariners went through that. Before the Mariners, right, the Mariners now have an infusion of young talent that they've done a great job of drafting and developing and they've turned it around. But, like, remember when they just threw a bunch of money at Robinson Cano? Who's like, yeah. well, that's not the answer. Like, spread that around to four or five better major leaguer, you know, decent major leaguers to upgrade your position five different places instead of second. You know, like, you have to be able to do that. And again, that comes down to being able to then scout at the major league level. Yeah. So much of that is important. And understanding, again, what you as an organization are good at doing. And you think about it. I mean, we could really talk about this across any business, right? If you're starting a business and you're running a business, you have to understand what you do best and what services you can provide or you're not going to be successful. And a lot of these organizations, it's hard. And so many people want to just, you know, copycat what other people are doing. It's like, well, you might not have the resources to be able to do that. And that's where teams yep. like them, they, they fall down. Yeah, and it's it gets to the point where – trying to be like the other teams becomes forced. Right. You know, where where like everybody wanted to be the Houston Astros. Well, then the Cincinnati Reds go and hire Kyle Bodie and you realize that 
okay, sure, he would have been decent for pitching initiative and and thought and put him in a think tank and he's great, but you want him on the field with your top pitching prospect? Probably and, not. And how is he going to relate? Where's that, you know, where's that? So you're taking a flyer and on how a is he going to work with Derek Johnson? Right? Yeah. Like now you have to, and how is yeah. he going to work with the pitching coaches that he has to now manage in the, in the farm system? How is he going to exactly. work with the players? And yeah. it's so, it's so hard. And when you start copycatting, it seems to never work out. But yeah. year after year, whoever the world series champion is the next year, people are trying to build their teams with it. There was a time where people were trying to build the Royals, right? Bullpen. Yeah. They had that electric Running, bullpen, and defense. everyone was like, "Right!" And everyone was like, "Well, we need to do it. We need to do it." Yep. And every year it swings that way, and the teams again who consistently are at the top of the league every year. And I understand that the Dodgers do it by both drafting and developing and having the money to sign Mookie Betts. I get that. So of course you can't mimic that. But the point is, is the Dodgers know what they do well. The Dodgers understand the resources they have. And they know themselves better than pretty much anyone. The Astros are the yeah. same way. It it becomes a copycat league, and and at that point, if you're not a hundred percent in on what you're doing, it's you don't. It doesn't work. It right. just it just doesn't work, and it screams desperation. You know, it screams we need to figure this out because we're desperate. And when you get to that point, it very very rarely works out for the teams that are on the the end of we need to do this it's it it gets to the point where it's like you know the pittsburgh pirates were so spun and bent out of shape that charlie morton and garrett cole go to other organizations and you know start to spin their four seam up in the zone and and work off that and everything like that that then they start taking guys that would be successful in their former sinker slider mold and start to try them to get start to get them to throw sinkers up in the zone and those guys start getting clobbered and now and you're, like, yeah, now you're messing you're up a desperate. whole new crop. Yeah, right. exactly. So now you're you're not only did you mess up the guys that spin it well, but now you're messing up the guys that sink it well because you're trying to make them like the guys that spin it well. And it's like, like it, it's crazy to me how you know, like you get so dug in on something. Like if you're desperate, that you don't even like me and you could sit here and and like you said about the Asa Lacy thing, we're we're nobodies, right? We're not desperate for pitching help like the Royals are. So we're right. not drafting. Why would I draft Asa Lacy? You can tell he gets so many slide swinging strikes at sliders that are bouncing on the plate. That doesn't happen at the big league level. It took takes you thirty minutes to watch his his film to to kind of see that. And it's like, well when you're dug in and how hard it is to get out of your own way, it, it's unbelievable. And that's when you need a fresh start. Right. Well, and again, the the pressure, and that's what makes it interesting in in baseball and, and really all professional sports is the pressure that GMs and, and these presidents of, of operations are under to succeed, right? Because you can be out of a job quick. And so they start to do things like that. They start to panic yeah. and they do and they, and we swing, we swing way too far in sports to one side or the other. When yeah. in reality, everything is truly down the middle, right? We're going to have the shift rules that are going to come into place, right? We've talked about. And I bet you everyone's going to start putting – we're going to swing way too far in the beginning on one way or the other on, on putting yeah. premium on contact, right? Yep. You can start to see there's you know the Astros and the Dodgers. We found success with guys that are throwing sinkers again. And now how many teams are going to go out there and start to flip back the other way? And it's like, no, no. Guys with sinkers, even when we all were obsessed with spin rate and throwing four scenes up in the zone, there was a place for guys who – Yep. didn't have spin rate and could sink the ball to be successful. It's just about understanding how to use that. We, mm-hmm. right, we do it all the time. We just swing too far one way or the other. And usually the teams who are desperate to succeed, like you said, run into the issues of swinging too far one way or the other by trying to figure out how to get like that, right? Well, we got to start teaching everyone how to hit the ball in the air. So now we're going to have guys who can't hit the ball in the air. That's not their strength. Try and do it. And it's like, well, now you've just depleted the value of the player. Yep. And it drives me in baseball. There's always like a lot of times. And I, I say this all the time. The biggest way that I see this is a lot of times you'll see guys who are, are good utility players on world series teams. Right, who are, are filling utility roles, get mm-hmm. signed for big money by teams who were probably outside the playoffs the year before, right? And those yeah. teams are now trying to sign a guy who is a value utility guy, and now he, they're playing every day. 
and they never live up to the contract. It's like no. because you just diminish the value of the player. The value yep. of that player was the fact that he was a utility guy. And that he he was an energy off the bat, off the bench. He was a guy who could start twice, three times a week, be productive and play multiple positions. Well, now you're asking him to play every day and you're realizing that the weaknesses in his game are going to get exposed much more because he's out there every day and now he's not as valuable. So the value of the contract you handed that guy after overreacting to him being a contributor on a World Series team isn't worth what he's giving you on an everyday yeah. basis, right? And you could take give me a World Series winner from the last 12 years and I'll find a player that that fits that example right there. Yeah, and it's it's that's I mean that's everything in, in our society is that we just freaking bounce on these edges of like the extremes like and mm-hmm. then if you just have these these level-headed people cruising in the middle like oh okay like and then those being people way more to, successful yeah like those people seem to have everything figured out and then everybody like if only we could take the you know level-headed person and and kind of level-headed mindset of, of falling somewhere in the middle everything it's baseball it's everything but like you said i mean it's the dichotomy it's the dichotomy of of player development it's the dichotomy of building a team it's di- in business like one of the things too that you know and this will probably be the last thing that I, point i want to make about this is how hard is it to and this is all sports this isn't just baseball how hard is it to be a president of baseball ops when you have an owner like the texas rangers breathing down your back saying do something and that guy has no background in baseball no clue that's the thing is like these people like you know like this person you work for this owner he's probably been doing x business for 40 years like he might not be up to date on on what's going on in the in the world of you know x business but like this dude gets it like he gets the business he's not just some investor who rolled out of bed i mean in some cases there are those kind of people but you know, in baseball, it's literally just an investor expecting you to put a product on the field, expecting you to sell tickets, and then telling you, saying, I have a blank check, go sign whatever free agent you want. And you're like, you know, in the Texas Rangers example, like, well, I really don't want to spend this money right now, but there's a ton of pressure from ownership and everybody involved to fill the seats in that new stadium. Corey, we, we really like Corey Seeger. Cause we think he could be really good, but like he wants Marcus Simeon. And when you start, it's the Jerry Jones effect, right? When you're an owner who has no understanding of that side of things, breathing down the president of baseball ops is back. It makes it that much harder to operate and you have to make decisions out. Why are the Houston, like the Pittsburgh pirates owners going, why is Garrett Cole pitching in a Houston Astros uniform as a Cy Young? And he wasn't doing it here in the, president of baseball operations going, I don't know, start doing what they're doing. And then you have to make decisions. It's either your job or, or figuring it out, you know? Right. And that's what makes it so tough. It's the the pressure that these guys are under and that's what causes a lot of the mistakes. Right. I mean, I hate to always bring it back to them, but the Phillies, you look at all the money, they've just thrown at all their problems and Sure, they, they're in a playoff spot right now. They're better than they've been in years past, but they're not a true contender. And it's like, well, look, at the, look at the payroll and look at the roster. It's yep. like you would think with the, the amount of money they're paying these guys, they would be a World Series contender, but they're not because a lot of it has just been pressure from ownership, pressure from the fan base, fan base. To, to throw money at problems. And it doesn't always work that way. It, it can't work that way. And then it, it becomes even worse when you're talking about a team like the Pittsburgh Pirates where they don't have the exorbitant amount of money, right? And the A's are another example. The A's, like, you never know what they're doing. They're always making you scratch your head because there's almost a disinterest from ownership in that sense where you're getting yeah. so little resources to help your club. So it's really it's fascinating. Um, let's move on here. Uh I just wanted to touch on that because Dayton Moore's been around for so long, and um, it's, it's good it, to it talk sparked about a the AL conversation Central. than we thought. <laughs> yeah, it's good to talk about the AL Central every once in a while. Um, Jordan Montgomery, who got traded at the deadline for Harrison Bader from the Yankees to the Cardinals, obviously everyone knows he's gone to St. Louis and he has just lit it up. Um, he's been one of the the 
better pitchers in the National League. The Cardinals have been one of the best teams since the All-Star break, since the trade deadline. Um, they're running away with the NL Central. They're eight and a half games up here with 15 to play. Uh, so it kind of looks like they're going to they're going to cruise in here to the finish and they're going to be one of the hotter teams going into the playoffs, which stopped me if you've heard that before with the Cardinals. Um, hot at the right time. He went on the R2C2 podcast, obviously with CC Sabathia, and he talked um, kind of about his transition to the Cardinals, what's gone right for him. And he, you know, it was a really good interview and it's been really interesting because we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, a few times his name's come up when we've talked about pitching here and there. Um, but their conversation really sparked some thoughts and it definitely sparked some um, opinions for me. And the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about when I was listening to this was uh, they got into obviously the fact that um, since getting to St. Louis, the biggest change that Montgomery has made, and this is what he said, is he started attacking people with his fastball. Right? He started throwing his fastball a ton more. He's spinning it. He's spinning it up in the zone. He's throwing more four-seamers. He's throwing it a lot. And that's basically the first thing that he said Mike Maddox said to him when he got there was, you don't throw enough fastballs. And he was told by the Yankees that they didn't want him to throw fastballs. And his um, fastball was bad, too. His fastball was bad. They wanted him to you know, be curveball changeup, and he felt like that you know, allowed guys to sit on it, allowed guys to take and, and you know, basically be more comfortable when he was in plus counts. CeCe Sabathia, I love CeCe. CeCe was obviously one of the better pitchers for a long time in the league, Cy Young Award winner, then went on to talk about how everyone, which is a point we make, throw your best pitch the most, says, well, everyone just says, you know, the computer tells them to just throw this pitch all the time, and if it's up to them, you'll just throw your slider 100 times in a game. I didn't appreciate that. No. Because, again, I feel like, to me, that's just another example of us fighting this imaginary battle with ourselves over analytics and player development. Okay, were the Yankees right in telling Jordan Montgomery's fastball is bad? No. But then CeCe went on a diatribe about setting up pitches, and you have to be able to set up those secondary pitches, so you have to throw your fastballs, which is where I disagree. I didn't know what your opinion was on it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think when I, I mean, I was visibly, I guess you could say visibly, but when I listened to it, and I love the podcast, I loved the the podcast they did with Jordan Montgomery. I think it teaches us something about player development that we can we can realize. But you know, the first thing I said was, "What about the guys it's worked for?" Like that was the first thing that came to my mind. It's like, okay, yes, you're right for Jordan Montgomery, and that's what we talk about: individualized development, right? We don't we don't put anybody in a vacuum. We don't develop one guy the same way. And I think there's anything if it's Matt Blake's flaw in that is that he was trying to make Jordan Montgomery somebody that Jordan Montgomery isn't, right? And I was like, Kevin Gosman started throwing a split finger. 45% of the time and, and look at the picture he is, you know, I think where it becomes tough is a starting pitcher who doesn't statistically have a good fastball, you know, where it's tough to get through the lineup three times without a, a fastball. I don't think the curveball and the changeup are pitches that you can just lean on three times through the lineup, no matter right. how good they are. Um, and I think you need a fastball and you need a fastball on both sides of the plate for that, even if it's, but it's, it's, you know, below average and stuff like that. But again, I think that's a, another thing that the Yankees did wrong and it was pointed out, but not elaborated on was he was throwing everything away. That was the issue, right? Is throwing everything fastball away, especially right-handed hitters are just, or throwing everything fastball away to right-handed hitters. So everything was arm side change up off of that curveball off of that. Obviously he was sinking it, not foreseeming it, but that's a comfy at bat, right? For any righty, any lefty, because all lefty has to do is get the head up, not yank it. And they're hitting a homer, especially in Yankee stadium. All a righty has to do is get Lean. up closer to play, stay in, you know, and just go get it. What the Cardinals have done is they're throwing the four seam on both sides of the plate. So now you can't sit, Kind of well, location as well. 
He's also thrown it to four, all four quadrants, right? He's yeah. up and down with it as well. And I think the thing that bothered me as well, with without even getting into that much detail about it, is just the point of throwing your best pitch the most. Not all the time. You can't pitch in Major League Baseball with one pitch. I don't care how good you are. And I don't think that's what this, I don't think that's what Matt Blake wanted him to do either. I don't no. think that's what anyone who has one of a position as a pitching coach or even is in player development at the major league level is telling guys to throw one pitch all the time. The only way you get away with that is if I'm only asking you to get three outs max. Right? Yeah. And even then that's a tough ask. Because the night you don't have it, your outing's not going to last very long and you're not going to be successful. I think the point is, and you just made it, is Galsman throw, started throwing his splitter the most, 45% of the time. He's still not even hit, throwing it half the time. He's just throwing it more than his other pitches. That I believe in, right? I don't yeah. believe in the old school way of you have to set up this pitch to get to the fastball. I believe in you want to throw your best pitch the most. In advantageous counts, you want to be able to throw your best pitch. You have to be balanced, and you can't ever become predictable, right? That's the biggest yeah. issue. Everyone needs a fastball to pitch at Major League Baseball. You don't need Garrett Cole's fastball. Justin Verlander's fastball to pitch in the major league level. Jordan Montgomery doesn't have one. Newsflash. Mm -hmm. It's not that good. And Matt Blake's right. Jordan Montgomery's fastball is his worst pitch. What the St. Louis Cardinals have done, though, is allowed him to open up both sides of the plate with it. Because Mm -hmm. if you still are able to command glove side, throw it up in the zone, throw it away, now a hitter cannot pick up a pattern on you and you can't and you don't become predictable it's not uncomfortable so now when jordan montgomery does get into a 3-2 count or a 2-2 count guess what's now the most effective pitch for him to throw his changeup is best pitch right now that's become a more effective pitch because the cardinals have opened up the door of the fastball and they've opened up the fastball that'll get above your barrel they've shown it enough and that's where you can kind of run into that problem. Again, I think the point. I don't think it's oh, it's smart to just throw your best pitch all the time. You have to be balanced, especially at that level. Yeah, and and like you said, if, if somebody's getting three outs, you can do it. But they all they also flash ninety six, ninety seven. You know those guys that are right. are paid to get three outs and throw their slider eighty five percent of the time. Well. It's not like he's throwing 84 with a with a 80 mile per hour gross slider. He's throwing 89, 90 mile per hour sliders with a 97 mile per hour fastball that you know might get hit, but it's still respectable. And you know Jordan Montgomery throws a respectable fastball. He doesn't throw a good fastball per se. It's not a world beater, but it's a respectable fastball and. You know, I think the biggest point, and I don't think they elaborated on it enough, is like you said, just opening up both sides of the plate just does so much for you. It makes that bats uncomfortable. He has good extension. He gets off that mound. He's a big dude, so he's bearing down on you. So, you know, I don't think the fastball is as bad as maybe they wanted to make it seem in New York, but it did get rocked last year. I mean, his sinker had an expected slugging of 523 last year, and his four seamer had an expected slugging of 462. Now, the sinker this year has had a 398 expected expected slug and the four seam fastballs had a 462 expected slug with a 396 real slugging. So he's had a little bit of luck there with the four seamer. Well, too. and I think I think that, that this is what digs into the bigger issue, the deeper issue why and and why I don't think everything's as surface level as we want to make it out to be all the time and and what you started this conversation off talking about is individualized development, right? Cuz you hear you heard Monty talking in the podcast about how it was conviction, right? And yes. now that he's with St. Louis and he sat down with, with Mike Maddox and he had the conversation about the fastball and he's got Yachty back there, you know, calling pitches, he throws every pitch with conviction because he's now confident, right? And and he talked about how his tr- the trust with Yachty because he's Yachty or Molina is crazy. He threw seven straight up and in fastballs and then at bat. And he punched yeah. a guy out. And he's like, I would have never done that. But it's Yadier Molina. So I'm like, okay, let's ride. And it's like, okay, well, the mindset's also, you get told in one place that your fastball is a bad pitch. So now every time you're trying to use the fastball and show it, 
Now you're timid, and you can't. You yep. certainly can't throw a timid fastball in Major League Baseball. Throw a timid fastball in Major League Baseball, and it's, I don't care who's at the plate on a big league roster. I'm not talking about being able to get the best hitters out. You're not getting anybody out. Anybody. So I think no. that's so important too, right, is now he's got this regained confidence, and there's the conviction in it. And I'm telling you, that matters so much because when you're throwing it fearless and you're throwing with your stuff with confidence, you're working with tempo – you're going to be much better. And he even mentioned something that I think opened an even bigger door to maybe why some of the the success has has been more so with St. Louis than it was in in New York outside of just being told you had a bad fastball. He said he was always worried about getting booed off the mound in New York. (laughs) And like that is legit. Honestly, good for him for admitting that. Yes. Because a a lot of players would not be comfortable saying that. But that's a... That's a legit thing that can mess with your stuff. That's a legit thing that can affect your performance. You're out there pitching not to get booed off the mound every time you take the mound at home. How are you supposed to succeed? You won't succeed. No, not at all. And and you're right that that that's a whole episode um, where we could we could dive in on on what that how that impacts the whole thing. And you know, I think the the whole individualized approach and and everything like that, like just how you phrase it. Right. I've made that mistake before. Sure. I've had a kid that I coached this past year that struggled with off-speed pitch. And in our inner squads, he was getting curveballed to death because everybody knew that he couldn't hit a curveball. And I straight up said mistakenly that, well, at least the teams we play won't know that you can't hit a curveball. Right. I sound like a douche, but it's, it's, the truth and he went out and in part-time playing hit 300 with power and showed tools with a lot of swing and miss because other teams were like who's this nobody coming off the bench grand slam oh holy crap this kid's really good right you know because they try to sneak a piece of cheese in on him and he just catches it out in front and it's like okay well maybe when you're in a bases loaded situation you don't have your roommate spinning your curveballs to death but that messed with the kid's head and i had to you know, I dug myself a hole and I had to rebuild that trust. You know what I'm saying? So you're always treading water, especially with guys that if he's timid enough to be worried about getting booed off the mountain, which I would be, you're treading water as a coach every day. You know what I'm saying? You can't zap that guy's confidence and tell him, you you know, listen, Hey, the data says your fastball is not good. Well, when he gets on that mound and you're all that's going through his head is my fastball is not every good. Time sees, not good. Every time he sees every time catcher every time puts he sees one the number one. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's where the analytics and that's where Matt Blake being a young coach and Matt Blake making the same mistake I made. I'm sure you've made it. We've all made it as young coaches where you have to understand the human element of what you're saying to that individual because – that will always sit in his brain. And when you're expecting to perform and you have to throw it, you know what I'm saying? It's not to the point, Matt Blake's not calling him in the office and saying, Hey, this pitch stinks. Let's get rid of it. Right? Like Corbin Burns, like your four seamer stinks, never throw it again. Okay. So he doesn't have to worry about putting down a one and spinning a four seamer and trying to sneak it over a barrel, but you're telling him this pitch isn't that good. And obviously I'm sure this is not exactly how the conversation went, but the way Jordan Montgomery said it shows what stuck with him. Correct. Perception will always be reality. And you can say a billion things to somebody. You can say all the good things in the world, but the one negative you say sometimes sticks with people. And again, that's, that's coaching. That's knowing the individual. Yeah, and if if you're timid and that's what you're thinking about is that I have a below average fastball, how are you ever going to locate a glove side fastball? Of course you're going to leak out over the middle of the plate. And when yeah. it gets leaked out over the middle of the plate, it's hammered. Now he's in there and, and again, Yachty's calling seven straight up and in, showing confidence in it. He's yep. dotting it and it's working. And it's and it's right because Jordan Montgomery is very good and his stuff does play and his changeup is plus plus. So now that – He's relaxed. He's confident. And he's out there. He can he can pull the string on guys. And again, because he's opened it up by throwing the four seamer and throwing it in all four quadrants, he's now in advantageous counts for himself. And even in minus counts for him, he can pull the string on the changeup, and he's going to get the swings right. Yeah. 
Because another really interesting thing he talked about is because I, I, I couldn't throw the fastball and I wasn't confident in it and I was told it was bad and I felt like I could only throw change-up slider cur- or change-up curveball, he was then afraid of throwing those in the zone too because he felt guys were sitting on it because he yeah. knew the guy that other teams knew who he was and what he was doing. So now he's now he's not attacking the zone with those pitches. And that's just – like that's – the interesting, you know, case of, of when you put all of those things together, why a guy's going to struggle and why a change of scenery and just one little switch like that can really open someone up. And that's what makes player development so hard, Dumb. right? Because it's it's one thing and it can be a mindset, right? Because it might yeah. not even, you know, if you want to look at it as, an, as a made-up example of you have a minor leaguer who doesn't have it's not even that you told them their fastball was bad but they just don't have confidence throwing their fastball at the pro mm-hmm. level for whatever reason right and if you can just switch that mindset and make them confident in that pitch you see a guy skyrocket right yeah and there's too many examples to to just kind of say that the idea of throwing your best pitch the most can be thrown out with Jordan Montgomery there's too many examples the other way yeah Way too many examples the other way, right? And I think, though, we need to be smart about it again, and it's just like everything else. It's not throw your best pitch all the time. It's not 85%. It's not 6%. Most of the time, it's not even 50, Mm -hmm. right? But look at Blake Snell. What's really – when Blake Snell's going, it's because his best pitch, his slider is being thrown the most, but it all – you know, he opens up people with a confident fastball that goes in. You know, yep. when he can hit a glove side fastball, then he can throw the slider. And that's his best pitch. So now the slider becomes even more effective and, and he throws yeah. it the most and he gets swings and misses. Well, it's like look at Clayton Kershaw is dominating with his slider as the number one and he's a right. starter. Like it's not like we're talking about a guy who, you know, is coming in, like you said, getting three outs. Like he throws his slider more than anything. And it's like there is 100% concrete evidence that these guys are, are capable of changing their careers by just throwing their best pitch statistically the most often. But again, if you can't translate that information properly, you might as well not say anything at all because you're doing more damage than help, right? Because at that point, now he's in his own dome thinking that he doesn't have good stuff. And if you don't think you have good stuff, you're not going to have good stuff in the big leagues. Plain and simple, you're, you're not. Even if you your change-up and curveball could be plus-plus, best in the league, if you're not confident in that, it doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. Agreed. Really good conversation on the podcast. If you haven't listened to it, R2C2 podcast, Jordan Montgomery, give it a look. All right, before we wrap up here, um, 15 games to go. I'll try and remember teams we've talked about on here for this. Um, I know we haven't talked about them. Trev... The Phillies are currently holding on to a playoff spot. Like I said, 15 games left. What do they need to do to get in? And what would make them dangerous if they did get in? Get in. Zach Wheeler gets healthy. Win the games you're supposed to win. Kind of just go as as you've been going right now. What would make them scary? I think scary in a three-game series is Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola um, being able to, to come into anybody's ballpark and, and shut down any lineup, quite frankly. It doesn't matter. I don't care who you're sending out there. Even the Dodgers, I would you know, take those guys in, in that game and have full 100% faith. I'm not saying they're going to win, but I would have faith in those guys. And you know, they have top-end talent like we talked about with the Blue Jays. You know, It's like, well, if this, this lineup – you know, their Grom's not, not commanding his fastball. Next thing you know, Harper's hitting a three-run bomb and Aaron Nolan's throwing a shutout. You know, right. it's like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> and, and you got Zach Wheeler coming to town tomorrow. You know, so that's what gets you with that team. And, and in a five-game series, I think they're flawed. There, there's a lot of flaws. There's a lot of holes. But, you know, you give them a lead and, and they'll sneak a game by you real quick. Yeah, I think the objective for the Phillies this year is um, just get in. Just get in, and they're trying to they're trying to throw up all over themselves, um, which is funny. They've lost five in a row. Um, they were rolling a little bit. They're eighteen games over five hundred, and then they've now lost five in a row. And everyone's kind of um, obviously pressing the panic button. All the rational fans in Philadelphia, but you know, I think it's just get in this year for them. Um, I think yeah. this year has shown them a lot. I think they have a manager in place who, obviously, Rob Thompson was is the interim, but. 
he deserves the gig moving forward. Um, and if they get in this year, I think they they've shown more depth um, than they've had in the past. And you know, I think they're in a position where they can just make a couple moves around the edge of the roster in the offseason that can really be a good team next year. And hopefully, you know, injuries have kind of hampered them more than people realize because Harper's played a lot outside of the broken thumb, but he hasn't played right field, which is which yeah. is really kind of changed the dynamic of that team because now you've asked Schwarber and Castellanos to play almost every day in the corner of the outfield, and that wasn't the plan. So no, I think they definitely should have never be the position. plan. No, and I think the go- the goal for them legitimately should be just get in and see what happens and, and count that as a success and, and build from there. Yeah, I mean, I think the Phillies have have to be the one team that I can think of off the top of the head that's going to kind of uh, really benefit from an expanded playoff, right? You keep that oh, yeah. crazy, rabid fan base intrigued. You're getting in in a year that you wouldn't normally get in. Not anybody's calling for anybody's head. People are happy. They saw playoff baseball. You know, they see the fruits of a team that can get to the playoffs because now there's more spots in the playoffs. But little do they know, they're no different than last year. It's like, no, okay. No. <laughs> the only, the only, they're a little bit different than last year in the sense that I think when you, when you actually look at this team, obviously they're going to win more games. They, yeah. I mean, unless they don't. Unless they go one in fourteen here in their last fifteen games, they'll mm-hmm. won more games than they did last year, right? They need to win two games to get over the mark. Um, yeah, but I think the thing is, is that the depth and the contributions that you have gotten from down the roster this year has shown that this, you know, the organization is healthier than it is in the past. That's yeah. what the difference is. And if you really want to look at it from a, from a basic fan standpoint, you're right. You're, it's not any different to you other than the fact that we have the extra playoff spots so they're going to get in, right? And and because, yeah. you know, I think they would have a really hard time going to St. Louis right now and winning the series. That's who they're lined up to play if it were to start today. But I think from a health standpoint, the organization, and I don't want to get too deep into it here, but, you know, with the prospects you have on the mound that are look close to ready. Um, yeah. And Bryson Stott turning it around after the dreadful first two months, and Alec Baum putting it together and finally getting out of his own way, and you you upgraded in center field and finally have a young guy who's played really well since he's come over to the team, and some of the bullpen pieces that you've gotten from you know minor league signing and Andrew Bellotti and and things like that, like the fact that you've shown more health throughout the organization not just the top of the roster right this hasn't been bryce harper having an mvp year carrying them to 82 wins like he did last year it's 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 more healthy of an organization with contributions all over i think that should is is why just get in this year and the fact that you have that move forward with that you don't need to do you know there doesn't need to be a schwarber and castiano signing no like it, the big things don't need to change for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Nope. Bryson stock could be next year's Andres Jimenez for all we right. know. You know what I'm right. saying? Like now you're starting to be able to see the fruits of player development. And right. again, we could, we could literally go a thousand episodes and in at an episode a thousand, it, the theme of it's probably going to be player development. Right. Because it will always come down to player development. It doesn't matter how much money you have because you can throw money at a Javier Baez, but if you're not putting them in a position to be successful, guess who's not performing up to their contract? That's your fault, player development. Right. You know, or you wouldn't even have had to give out the contract. The Phillies are starting to develop in homegrown talent, and it makes the future feel that much better where you're like, we don't have to go big game hunting for a superstar. You can't, and then you can go get the right guy rather than feeling you you have to go get an okay guy. Right, and that just allows you to be way more flexible within within the organization and, and get creative in the off season. Um, in player development, it's just it's everything, man. It is and when teams that don't have the financial flexibility of the Phillies who have been able to try and throw money at their problems, you really need to develop. Really. Looking at you, Milwaukee, right? If you want to be a contender and you don't have, you're don't, you not going to throw the money around, got to be able to develop, right? It's the only reason yeah. Tampa's, you know, this 
the new Tampa Bay Rays, what we've seen over the last, you know, five, seven years is that they just, that they develop. Yeah. They get contributions from the edges of the roster. Right. Yeah. It's impressive. You got anything else? good to see. No, nothing too much. Hopefully we'll get in a better routine for our fans that are out there listening, listening to every pod. Um, Hopefully not too many happenstances where, where life will happen and, we're going to MIA for a little bit. So um, hopefully that, that means another episode coming up here shortly and, and get back to two a week. For sure. For sure. Um, I'm just glad I got re-signed. Um, you know, We're happy to have you back. I'll, I'll, head, I'll head to the locker room here and, and hopefully you know no one's calling me into the manager's office. You're, you're a lot closer now, so it might be I might be driving in, catching you at home before you make the commute. <laughs> hey Dan, uh, we're sending you back to Wilmington. I'm sorry, bud. Um, anything but there. Okay, we're Release sending you me. back to Double A. We're going back to Shepherdstown. Great, great. <laughs> really enjoyed my time. It's not Triple A Wilmington, anywhere but there. <laughs> All right, man. 